This podcast may include adult content. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Rain Day by Craig Turlson and Action Figures and Other Playthings by Ross Kimball. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts. Rain Day, written by Craig Turlson and read by Dave Robinson. Listening time, 5 minutes, 7 seconds. Rain Day, by Craig Turlson. Plastered on the ground, Kevin winced and reminded himself that batting helmets don't ring. It must be his imagination. He hoped that he'd also imagined his skin being peeled back and mixed with the chunks of gravel that surrounded home plate. He smelled rain. It was far off, but headed his way. He tasted one of the chalk lines. Time dripped. The coach yelled something from the bench. Kevin decided to stay on the ground a few more seconds. In those seconds, he flipped through that morning's fears. He was scared he'd sleep in and would be late for the game. He was scared when Withers German Shepherd tried to take a chunk out of his leg and scared when Kelly and Chris on their porch told him again that he was dead meat. It was like watching one of those old movies sped up. He reached the part in the movie where he stood in the batter's box and thought about faking a stomach cramp. He knew the pitcher, Mustel, would be unfocused and unpracticed and totally pissed that he couldn't fire fastballs at somebody's skull in the offseason. Being afraid of getting hit by a wild pitch had almost replaced Kevin's greatest fear that this time his father wouldn't come home at all. You can take your base, son. Ah, oh, come on, I didn't even hit him. The chicken shit knocked himself on the ground. Kevin got off the ground. If the ball didn't hit him, then why the ringing? It sounded like old telephones going off. Take your base. The yump's voice got rougher. Play ball! Kevin was glad for the ringing in his helmet. If not for that, he'd hear the jeering from the visitor's dugout. He ignored his dugout. A shadow fell over him at first base. A huge mother of a black cloud had slid overhead. A drop hit him in the forehead. Three more made a triangle just above the trustee's machine, stitched in purple on his uniform. The ringing stopped. Gonna have to call this one. It was Mr. Jenkins, the first base coach. I say a couple more pitches. Go ahead and steal if you feel like it. On the word steal, Kevin looked at the first baseman and back at the coach. The kid had obviously heard. Jenkins didn't even try to say it softly. The kid smacked his glove and wiggled his fingers at the pitcher. Come on, go for it, Jenkins urged, just before Mostel pivoted and threw to first. Kevin jerked back. The first baseman slapped Kevin's shoulder with his glove, then tossed the ball back to the mound. Take a bigger lead, Jenkins said. What the hell was going on? You don't tell the other team what you're trying to do. Then it occurred to him that Jenkins didn't really care what happened. He doubted that Jenkins knew his name. Some no-talent kid deep in the order. Why should he care? Screw him. He was going. The rain picked up and tapped the beat on his helmet. Mid-morning turned to twilight. They were going to call it any second. Kevin took his normal two steps off the bag, eyed Mustel, and took another long one. He thought about his father, wished he was there. The first baseman twitched his head like he was about to have a seizure. Mustel wound up. It pissed Kevin off that he needed to worry about his dad. He's probably in the bar. Do places like that open in the morning? There was a gust of wind. Rain sprayed his face. He lifted off and peeled toward second. Mustel's pitch was far outside and in the dust. The catcher scrambled for it. 
Kevin was halfway when the taps on his helmet rushed together and a torrent of rain swooped down. He didn't see the pitch coming from home plate, but in a weird way, he felt it. He started his slide ten feet away from the bag, way too soon, scared where the pitch was going. A spike of lightning went off like someone took a picture. The second baseman looked up. Kevin had one eye open during the slide, and he watched a funny little film as the thunder rolled over the field. The second baseman's fat cheek rumbled a split second before he was hit square in the face with a scarred Rawlings ball. The ball popped in the air as blood erupted from the boy's lips. The scream was way louder than the thunder. Kevin was safe, but no one said it, or cared. The trainer came off the bench as the ump yelled, Game called! Kevin stood and dusted off his uniform. He watched the trainer scoot the bleeding kid off the field, following the exiting crowd. He started a slow jog across the field, exhilarated by the rush of rain. He tossed his helmet at the coach. Hey, nice one, kid. You need a ride home? Nah, I'm only a couple of blocks away. Kevin pointed to the field, thinking just for a second about that famous baseball photograph. The storm drenched out the last bit of color in the sky. Kevin jogged out to the pitcher's mound, past second base and into center field. Rivers of water ran down his neck. His uniform clung to him. His sneakers squished. As he stepped under the asphalt, a street light on his block glowed to life. He could see his house now. His driveway was empty. A figure in an apron stood on the porch. She was smoking, a hand on one hip. Kevin couldn't tell if she was looking for someone or just out there wondering what had happened to the light. He sprinted the last few houses. End. Craig Darrelson's fiction has appeared in Carve, Hope Art, Smoke Long Quarterly, and other literary journals. He shouts about fiction at his website, woofreakingwho.squarespace.com. He is currently working on a novel. Action figures and other playthings. Written and read by Ross Kimball. Listening time, 12 minutes. Action figures and other playthings by Ross Kimball. Avenge us, Plastic Ben commanded before falling over with a dramatic moan. I will not fail you, Plastic Luke replied in an identical voice. Carried by slender fingers, Luke hopped over his fallen mentor and through the devastation that had, until recently, been his home. Everywhere he looked, he saw tragedy. The base's building block walls had crumbled under the bad guy bombardment. Its store-bought command buildings and styrofoam-packing homes were disassembled or smashed, and the bodies of countless inanimate friends lay scattered amongst the ruins. Reaching the base's outskirts and his recently landed ship, Luke settled into the cockpit and launched himself into the bedroom air. Though his absence had robbed the base of a desperately needed defender during the surprise attack, his scouting mission had been successful in uncovering the location of the bad guy enclave. Luke set his course with a vengeful heart and prepared to single-handedly do battle with the assembled forces of evil. It was an impulsive, impossible, and foolishly heroic course of action, but to the eight-year-old general calling the shots, there was just no place in playtime for subtlety. Please stop buying him so many goddamn toys, Ryan, Mrs. Brozel said, her voice low but her exasperation clear. You're spoiling him. No kid needs that many dolls. Oh, Christ, Elaine, would you just relax, Mr. Brosel replied, far too loudly for the hushed surroundings of an elementary school hallway. Noticing the interested looks of a set of parents sitting outside the next door, 
he continued in a softer tone. They're just toys. He likes them. What's the big freaking deal? You're a fool if you think you can buy his love, Elaine hissed as the classroom door opened and a vaguely familiar couple exited. The Brosels exchanged a final unfriendly gaze, then entered their son's classroom for their allotted parent-teacher interview. After polite greetings, the teacher opened a thin file and got down to business. I'd like to begin by saying that Donovan is an exceptional child. You should be very proud. He consistently scores at the top of his class on both tests and assignments. He's generally polite and well-mannered, and he has a wonderfully vivid imagination. Thank you, the couple answered in unison. They'd expected such praise, as no teacher had ever told them anything different. However, there's also a potential problem you should be aware of, the teacher continued, ignoring their thanks and breaking the long-standing trend. If anything, Donnie is too smart, too imaginative. Emotionally, he's still just an eight-year-old boy, and sometimes he uses his gifts in, uh, disruptive ways. And just what does that mean? Mrs. Brosel asked coolly. Well, as one example, last week he was involved in the destruction of a microscope in the science lab. Excuse me? Are you telling me that Donnie actually damaged school property? Mr. Brosel's surprise was clear. At home, Donovan was a model child, and his father found the teacher's allegation extremely hard to believe. Well, not exactly. He wasn't an active participant in the incident, but the two students that committed the act both swear Donnie put them up to it. Ryan snorted in a combination of relief and annoyance. Yeah, that sure sounds like a serious problem, all right, he replied, sarcasm dripping from his voice. That's my son, ringleader of a grade three crime syndicate. How can you be so sure the other children aren't making this up? Mrs. Brozel asked, taking control of the conversation to keep her hot-headed mate from snapping. Kids tend to do that when they're in trouble, you know. Yes, I did know that, thank you, the teacher replied dryly. And yes, it is possible. But as I said, that was just one example of your son's misbehavior. Over the past few months, he's been acting out in a number of ways. Unfortunately, I only have 15 minutes with you today, but I'd like to arrange a lengthier meeting between the three of us and the school's psychologist. Psychologist! Ryan exclaimed. Like hell! Donnie's a brilliant little boy, you said so yourself. What in the world do we need to talk to a psychologist about? Well, this type of behavior often springs from problems at home, and, uh, I understand you two are going through a divorce. Flying low over the carpet, Luke swung his craft through the doorway at the end of the upstairs hall and accelerated toward his destiny. There, at the foot of his parents' bed, was the bad guy base. Assorted vehicles and villains stood watch outside the imposing walls of a medieval castle playset. Ignoring the odds against him, Luke said a quick prayer and launched his attack. The six-inch hero pulled his twelve-inch spacecraft high into the master bedroom air, and positioning the hundred-watt bulb at his back, he swooped down out of the artificial sun with his guns blazing. The laser fire and a quick kick of Donovan's foot cut a swath of destruction through evil's forces. Ships and action figures flew to and fro, and Luke giggled with a child's glee. Two more passes cleared away all the remaining resistance, and Luke landed his ship at the castle's now undefended walls, ready to face the true enemy. The vanquished foes around his feet were nothing. They were merely puppets through which the evil puppet master inside the castle acted out his insidious plans. To truly stop the ongoing conflict, to once and for all put an end to the pain and suffering, Luke had to pull off a miracle and defeat the undefeatable.
You were a bit harsh with her, don't you think? Mrs. Brozel commented as they walked towards their vehicles. Oh, come on, Elaine. She's lucky I didn't say worse. You heard the crap she was spewing. Well, I admit I did enjoy watching you wipe that judgmental smirk off her face. Mrs. Brozel chuckled at the memory. But she is Bobby's teacher. Maybe she's right. Maybe there's a problem. Elaine, if Donnie's been involved in all these supposedly serious incidents, don't you think we'd have heard about it before now? Mrs. Brozel paused thoughtfully before answering. That's true. Here's what I think, Mr. Brozel continued. I'm sure Donnie's been getting into some mischief. He's an eight-year-old boy, that's what they do. But that sorry excuse for a teacher is blowing it entirely out of proportion. Why? Hell if I know. What I do know is that Donnie gets straight A's, he respects us and does what he's told, and he would never get into any serious trouble. Face it, Elaine, he's the perfect kid. Ryan, I'm impressed. I think this is one of those rare occasions when you're actually right. Mr. Brozel chose not to take the bait. Instead, he simply turned and started walking. As usual, after they'd spent any amount of time together, he was utterly bored with her. I'll be by on Saturday morning to pick him up, she called to his back, and stop buying him so many toys. Shunning the castle's open and almost certainly booby-trapped doorway, Luke climbed the faux stone walls to a second-floor window and slipped inside. Donnie quickly swung the playset open on its hinges, then grabbed his avatar once again. Luke had emerged into the castle throne room, and perched in front of him on the oversized seat was the figure he sought, the figure he feared, and the figure he knew he had to face. The Black Plastic Knight, evil incarnate. I've been waiting for you, boy, the knight growled. Luke ignored the comment, opening fire with his laser rifle instead, but the knight easily deflected the phantom beams. Laughing, he addressed Luke again. Foolish child, you can't defeat me. I'm far too powerful. You don't scare me, old man, Luke replied defiantly. The knight laughed once more, but gave no further reply. Instead, he answered the challenge with action. Lunging from the throne with his massive sword flailing, he easily knocked Luke's weapon from his hand and although the now defenseless hero managed to avoid several vicious jabs and swipes, he could not dodge them all. The flat of the knight's blade soon caught him squarely on the head, sending him sprawling. Looming over the fallen hero, the knight savored his triumph. Do you see how pointless it is to resist me? Do you understand now that I am unbeatable? The dark one hissed. There's only one way to save yourself, child. You must join me. Never. Luke... The knight continued, his voice softening. I am your father. Plastic Luke looked up at the imposing figure looming over him and withered under the weight of his shadow and words. His response, though, was stubbornly defiant. I know. That's why I'm here. Now where's my mother? Your mother's gone, Luke. She's gone and she's never coming back. I'm the only family you have left. I'd rather be an orphan. Suddenly, Luke sprang up from the floor, catching his unprepared antagonist off guard. Grappling at a range too close for the knight's sword, the two action figures wobbled across the room. With a heave, the Dark Lord finally freed himself, but just as he raised his arm for the killing blow, Luke stumbled over an almost hidden latch jutting from the floor. Aided by Donnie's finger, the latch opened the trap door on which the Dark Lord happened to be standing. Luke's evil father fell down into a caged pit and as the hero stood on its edge, the second and far more lethal part of the trap revealed itself. With the scene paused before him, Donovan reached into his pocket and pulled out the jackknife he'd lifted from his dad's desk. 
Flipping open its blade, he stood over the playset, and taking careful aim down the knife edge, he let go. The weapon fell true, guided as if by the hand of fate itself. With a tiny thunk, the Dark Knight's head fell away from his body. Donovan and Luke were silent for a time, neither having the words to express their turbulent feelings. Finally, Donnie took the knife in the head and returned them to his pocket. No longer in a playful mood, he absently stuffed the scattered remnants of his toy battle into the castle, pulled it closed, and carried it back to his room. Hi, Becky, Mr. Brosel called into the living room as he walked through the door. How was he? Perfect as always, the babysitter answered. He's been playing quietly upstairs all afternoon. That's my boy. I'll only be here a moment. I just have to change for my date, Ryan announced as he climbed the stairs. Sure, Becky answered without hearing, her attention already back on the television. In the upstairs hallway, Mr. Brosel paused to peek his head into Donnie's room. Hey, champ. Hey, dad, Donnie answered softly, a pencil in his hand. His attention was clearly on the drawings on his desk. Just wanted to let you know that your teacher said you were a very smart and creative boy. That's nice. Well, you look like you're busy, so I'll leave you to your games. I'll be out until after your bedtime, but Becky's downstairs if you need anything. Donnie nodded, and Mr. Brosel left him to his imagination. He rushed through a shower and a change of clothes with a smile on his face, thoughts of his son's limitless future dancing in his head. With a final glance in the mirror, he pulled his polished dancing shoes from the closet and stepped into them. Ow! A sharp pain spread through the sole of his foot, and after hopping away the worst of it, Mr. Brosel leaned down to fish a small ruck from the shoe's dark interior. Looking more closely, though, he saw that it wasn't a stone at all. It was the head of one of Donnie's beloved action figures. The Dark Knight, no less, a classic figure that no collection should be without. Setting the head aside, Ryan made a mental note to stop at the toy store tomorrow for a replacement. It was the least he could do, he thought, as he headed out the door. Nothing was more important to him than his son's happiness. Ross Kimball lives in Saskatoon, Canada with his beautiful wife and adorable one-year-old son. Though he gave up most toys years ago, he'll be playing with words forever. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off, copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.